It's too good to be true. We got the 20th anniversary of 10 Things I Hate About You. Movies and friendship. Those are mysteries. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. You'd be like heaven to touch. I wanna hold you so much. At long last, love has arrived. And I thank God I'm alive. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. Alright, welcome back. Another week. Now we are in, uh,. Well, I guess it's the second week of February now because we had Groundhog Day last week, right? Mm-hmm. We're not. This isn't still Groundhog Day, right? No. Uh, well, it feels the same way. I know. I thought we were trapped in a loop again, but no, we did make it out, fortunately. And here we are, next week, February sixth is today's recording date. And uh, today you said that we should talk about ten things I hate about you, which uh, I don't really know exactly what you mean. So. Um... I just made a list of things that I dislike about you. Um. (laughs) Did you know? Yeah. I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I feel like we should just get into the film. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't piece it together to be about you, so... Mm -hmm. Um, that's a that's a poem from the film Ten Things I Hate About You. We're covering it today. Yes, that's a, the bit from the ending where the film gets its title from, and that will be you know we'll be discussing more. But before we talk about those ten things, let's talk about the ten things in the box office from this week. <laughs> ten other things I hate right now. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple in here maybe we don't hate so much, but yeah. man, do I hate that they're the same ten things from like the previous weeks still. Uh, so we'll just get into it. Number ten here is They Shall Not Grow Old which I'm ecstatic to talk about here. It's the first time it's popped up in the box office since having its very small theatrical run, and I'm very happy to see it's in the box office, finally. And our contributor, Laura, wrote a really cool review about how she brought her son to the film and how that she was able to relate to the young children going off to war because they wouldn't give her son a ticket. Like, uh, how times have changed, you know? You mm-hmm. used to be conscripted to go into war, and now you can't get into it either. Yeah, it's kind of ironic like that. I think it's a really interesting how they kind of made this film. I wish they had kind of sold it up a bit more when it was originally completed because I think the significance of it being finished and presented on the 100-year anniversary of Armistice Day is, uh, you know, pretty phenomenal. You know, that's the kind of thing, like, you work really hard to make that deadline so that you can release it during a significant time. And, you know, if it doesn't get that wide release, then, it, you know, it feels like they, they didn't treat it properly, I think. I agree with that. Like, uh, we're seeing with the review, once you really get the word out about this film, it blows up. Like, it talks itself out. Yeah, there's there's plenty of material to dig into here. And it's looks like a gorgeous restoration that will have a huge impact on how these things go forward from here. So I'm really excited to go see it, maybe after this today. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really great thing. It's another case of peter jackson really pushing you know the technological capabilities that we have you know we saw him do a lot of that of course with lord of the rings so many years ago and now he's you know showing us how he can do it in preservation of film as well which is very fantastic and a very important you know facet of film culture that we need to continue to work on and i appreciate from a review i kind of drew from it that it was all primary document like it's not someone narrating over old document they just they left it uh objectively to its old self but they also revitalized it and made it new so 
I'm really excited about the just the form of that. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about it as well is the, you know even more potentially than the uh, coloring of the, the old footage again is that they brought in these interpreters to read the lips from this silent footage because it was all you know there was no sound that was recorded with it it was just video and you know then they had these voice actors come in and you know bring these people to life give them a voice that they didn't have before and that if you've never done it before is extremely difficult to do just to to try and match you know uh voices for especially something that you have no context for for how it would have sounded or how this person was in any way you know you're trying to match a personality that you have no idea of so i think that's especially in its own right Something as high stakes as World War One, you know, you want to get the details right, and you you want to make sure they're not just saying silly shit in the in the you know right in the <laughs> you don't just want them uh, in the trenches saying nonsense to each other. So it's I mean you, it's high stakes. You got to get it right. Mm-hmm. And from what I've heard as well is that there is some some really dark material in here, of course, because it isn't just you know showing them all kind of hanging out like you've seen the trailers. Like, there's some yeah. real, like, trench warfare stuff you see in it. It's very violent at times. There's some real death captured on film, you know, from what I understand. So that's something to be aware of. So I can see why the theater people might have been hesitant to, to allow, uh, you know, Laura's kid in. Uh, yeah. But certainly it's, it's the kind of thing that you should want to encourage, you know, young children to kind of seek out in a, in a historical sense. Like, it's an important thing. It's not just violence for the sake of violence there's a you know a great weight behind the violence that's being portrayed here i think there's a thing where if there's a sense of education you could allow something to go into schools and be shown uh predominantly with younger kids uh i think if there's educational value you could overlook a rating yeah i'd say so i mean i don't know about you but i remember the couple days in high school where they you know the history teacher just kind of turned off the lights and played saving private ryan for us I mean, my earliest memories were like four years old. My dad showed me leprechauns. So I can't talk about <laughs> censoring for kids, right? Yeah, that's a quite a historical document there of our, it is. Uh, you know, historic leprechaun problems. Yeah. In, in the hood, specifically. <laughs> well, yeah, so I highly recommend anyone uh, who's interested, go ahead and check out a review that's on the site now for They Shall Not Grow Old, and then make sure you see it in theaters while you still can. It's not going to stick around very much longer, but I believe there's also a Blu-ray release of it in some case. I'm not sure if it's an um, American release yet, but I have seen people floating around with it so far. So it's going to be out there for sure. Make sure you get a hold of this important document. All right, nine. Now we get back into the boring stuff. You know, we got Escape Room still from last week. Uh, I hear people's re- reflections on it growing each week. Like, it seems to have kind of engendered, like, a... Oh, it's a fun horror movie, and it has some fun ideas. And I keep, it's a weird thing when new horror movies come out. People, like, reference them in their new reviews. Like, the second horror movie after it, they're like, oh, it's kind of like Escape Room. I'm like, that came out last week. You can't use that as your contextual <laughs> analysis for this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I almost have a feeling like it's getting to a case of, like, Stockholm Syndrome, where people are just warming up to these films because they're just forced to continue to go back to the theater and see the same things because nothing new is coming in. It's, you know, so it's like, I guess I'll just go see Escape Room for the fifth time. We should say that every year at Super Bowl Sunday is the lowest weekend of the year, basically, for going out to theaters. And this is the lowest one of those in 20 years. So uh, There's not a lot of good stuff happening right now. 
No. But we have some uh, old favorites sneaking back in because of it. Yeah, there is, you know, still, again, because everything's just kind of sticking around. Like, I'm even looking at it here, and, you know, most of these haven't moved a placement at all. Escape Room was at 9 last week. So yeah. I think it was probably there the week before as well. I, or at least it was close. Uh, like we said, it is Groundhog Day. We're talking about the same <laughs> films over and over. It is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you have anything exciting on the next film? No, it's another entry, Dog's Way Home here. It's another, yeah. you know, we talked about dog movies before. We talked about the previous predecessor with the dog's purpose. Uh, I guess I could talk a little bit because I was, my fiance informed me a little bit more about the controversy of the previous film. Oh, she did? Yes. Um, I remember, you know, again, because I remember when it happened, but I didn't remember all the details. And then after listening to our last podcast, she was like, oh, David, this is what happened. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that now. So what essentially what it was that there was some leaked footage of the trainers trying to force the dog, like trying to encourage the dog to get into the water. And he really didn't want to, you know, for a scene or whatever. Yeah. And when it was leaked, they framed it as them kind of forcing the dog to do the scene, you know, like against his will, which was not the case in the end, as they found out, is that the, you know, they tried for a while, but eventually gave in because they didn't want to force the dog to, but because they, you know, they kind of cut the video down to just show them trying to get him to, and then they kind of spun the story to make it seem like that. And then there was a huge outrage about it. I remember some personal people I knew, you know, who were like, boycotting the film now who are excited for it but yeah if you can believe that people were excited for the, the dog's purpose <laughs> and i'm boycotting this one just because i don't want to see it yeah so that was all of that that is all of the relevant material about this cookie cutter dog story thing i mean if you've seen one talking dog movie you've seen most of them yeah like we said we talked about some of them before not, not much to add here Go watch Air Bud yeah. again, I guess. It's not, it's not a talking dog, but he plays basketball. That's cool, at least. Hey, is the only good one. Yep. But he doesn't talk either, does he? No. Well, I mean, he could kind of communicate. But, like, with words? Like, with human dialogue? Well, it's, you know, just by being a dog and yeah, so being like, a good dog. Yeah. So, I, I guess the lesson here is that if you want to make a good dog movie, don't make him talk, because that's <laughs> condescending to your audience. And also, don't make a dog movie yeah just in general we got enough of them yeah all right uh the number seven here we have the kid who would be king and uh our editor will went and saw it he said it was a good uh arthurian legend that's about all we really have on it yeah well that's about all you could expect like if you know if it's a good arthurian legend film that's about all you want because most of them suck yeah and i i still have my own doubts but i'm not going to confirm them or not mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, they're just too many. I mean, even someone like you who sees just about every film in theaters, you can't waste your time on some of these that, that just don't pique your interest just for the sake of it. No, no, there's no time for that. I mean, if it's not for coverage and it's not for talking about here, then, you know, if I did, if I thought there were a compelling argument for it, I'd go see it and make sure. But there's nothing. Mm -hmm. Not for me. Yeah, film watching isn't a competition. We're not at all trying to see no. who can watch the most. Though if it was, I'm sure you would still win. Yeah, last year I might have made it too competitive. I went to everything, and this year I'm just uh, doing what I want. Yep. Yeah. Well, hopefully it'll be, you know, still allowing us for enough coverage for some things so we have less weeks like this where there's just nothing to talk about, man. <laughs> yeah. You're sitting, uh, you're sitting on your lazy ass and not giving us things to talk about here. <laughs> there's plenty of reviews up on the site this week if you're interested. But... Yes. 
So, um, more interesting things, too, as well. Uh, at number six, same spot as last week, we have Green Book, which we talked about the last time it was around in theaters, and we talked about last week as well. You know, uh, I've and seen... do we think it's Skull Window Award, I guess, is the only conversation about it. I've seen a lot more backlash for the film, actually. A lot of people calling it more inherently racist. Uh, and I think it's just because of all that buzz it's getting, so people are kind of crawling out of the woodworks now to try and condemn it. I don't know, maybe so Black Panther can win. I, I feel like there's such a thin line between ignorant and racist and that they've kind of melded together in the same thing. Like, because they didn't research a person's family, I don't think they're fundamentally racist. I think they just have one perspective that comes from an Italian-American background. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that they're fundamentally against the guy. Like, uh, he's an insanely talented musician. It's such a well-put-together movie about their relationship, but it only has that one side. Yeah, you know, there's certainly a discussion to have as well is that there is a fine line between things like racism and prejudice and ignorance. They're all very different things, but racism has become very much so a kind of catch-all term to cover any bad, you know, motivations towards someone of a different uh, color. And it's not always the proper term. It's become a very, you know, hot-button thing to say. So Yeah, I don't think it's a racist movie. I think that it's not a very well-educated movie and that it's a little bit ignorant, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Do you think amongst the competition it deserves the best picture? I think it could win. I see a lot of arguments why it could win. I mean, it already won the producer's board and best picture is a producer's board, so I don't see why it wouldn't also sweep there, except you have stuff like... I don't know, what else What else is really going to win? They're not going to put favorite in, right? And then Roma just has the Netflix thing against it. That's the if thing those is that two with, don't win. with Roma is that I'm certain that the academy is very averse to recognizing the streaming platform as a legitimate you know uh way of entertaining you know there was that whole controversy i think it was probably even the previous year where they wouldn't even you know nominate things from netflix because of these these weird arbitrary rules that it has to have a theater run for a specific time with a certain amount of theaters you know i mean you take you take roma out of it and i think green book's the most obvious competitor it's competing against stuff like Bohemian Rhapsody and Black Panther. They gave it an easy route in, so, mm-hmm. so that's, I think it looks good. It's it's very likely. You know, I think we probably both agree that the the front runners should be here at least between, you know, Roma and uh, the favorite. But yeah, for for some reason, it just seems unlikely with the Academy's pattern that they'll go that route. I mean, moreover, like on our site, I think we both think that an Orson Welles film is more. Uh, Maybe more um, important than a Peter Farrelly movie, but no, certainly we agree. And even if you didn't want to go that, we we both agreed that you know something like Lynn Ramsey's "You Never Really Here" was a significant you know snub this year. That really God, was... I... <laughs> don't get me started, but I think she's like the most relevant modern director for what movies could mean in 2018, 2019. And I don't think Farrelly is. I feel like this is driving Miss Daisy. Like he should be stuck in the 60s. Uh, Green Book should win the fucking Academy Award for 1967 or something. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, but no, I agree, especially with uh, Lynn Ramsey being such a prominent female director as well, and there is yeah. no representation here this year for it. That's just uh, wrong, especially with such a big movement, you know, a huge amount of uh, female directors, you know, coming into their own here and finally getting some recognition, just being shut I down. I think that's... Uh... That's a challenge. I'm going to start for myself. I'm going to try to get to like 50 female-directed films this year, but just uh, not formally, just go ahead and do it for myself. Yeah, I think that's a great thing to do. More representation there is a 
great way to look at things because certainly that's a more neglected, you know, field in terms of female representation. You know, just in general, the, the business is very male-centric and we're slowly working to fix that. And, yeah. you, you know, we see it, again, with entries like you were never really here, you know, a highlight last year that it's, you know, they're more than capable. And then people like, I think, what, the, the Academy has only really recognized Catherine Bigelow before, who was a yeah. fantastic female director, um, you know, I, I know there were mixed things about Detroit last year, though, so. Yeah, I didn't like Detroit at all. I liked her previous work a lot. I hated Detroit, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. I know, like, one of my favorite films, I don't know, I don't think that's, I guess it's more of a guilty pleasure, but she did Point Break, which is just mm-hmm. such a fantastic action film from all fronts, cheese and all. all yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> yes, I agree it is. Maybe we'll do that for a podcast one day, too, because Point It'd Break be is... a fun one. Point Break is so wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Catherine yeah. Bigelow, for giving me Point Break. <laughs> she's a great director. I, I Like, we just have to see what she's up to. Whatever she does should be nominated again, but well, hopefully like, like something you said, better with, than Detroit. Yeah, like you said, with Detroit, Detroit wasn't exactly a good entry this time, which is fine. You know, they can't have home runs all the time. Well, you know, it's a feel-bad movie, and right now I don't feel like people need to feel any worse about the country than they do. It just, it just brought me down. Mm-hmm. I don't always need that. Yeah, I guess that's an interesting thing to consider as well as the context, the time period, you know, how a film reflects the world that we live in. And I don't know if uh, Green Book does any better at that, at reflecting what we need right now. Uh, It is that old school, um, if we could just learn to love each other and overlook our race, then we could get over all of our problems. Uh, That's its solution to everything. Yeah, that's not really the solution for today, though. We need a lot more. We need a kind of confrontation, not a dismissal. Well, it's more like the, it's like the Malcolm X thing, right? Like, you could remove the knife from my back, but you gotta, you know, go heal the injury, too. You gotta go talk with us and figure out what, what actually happened to cause you to be racist. Yeah, and that's certainly and it, the, the kind of big statement of our times, I think, right now, is that we need to, you know, find the root of the problem and fix it, not just say, you know, hey, let's all be friends. Yeah, and I think that it did give me some light into a subject I didn't know. I didn't know about green books where, you know, African-Americans had to look for the right hotels and places and watching this white guy from, you know, just an Italian neighborhood try to contend with that. It was interesting to me. I like green book. I, I just think it's a little bit, uh, a little bit questionable. Yeah. All right. I think we did spend enough time on green book there. It was a nice tangent. Probably. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good tangent, I think, but you know, we still got half the box office entries here. So let's, let's push through them. Sure. So, number five, same place as last week, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Still doing well. It's nice when you don't have the the conversation where a film's not racist at all, and it's progressive, and it's doing something well. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the thing I like about Spider-Man, is it's not questionable or problematic. You can just have a good time, and it makes you feel good about yourself. I think, you know, one of the the greatest achievements of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is that it finally, you know, squashed any, you know, potential issues with the idea that spider-man is just peter parker for you know now we finally got a proper film representation of a you know black latino spider-man in the form of miles morales and you know we love him and he's great and so now we can go forward with this and see spider-man as the symbol that he really is you know that you know as a character not just a you know a white boy who shoots web out of his hands yeah and uh, peter parker is pretty distressing in this his personality uh, man he's hard to watch Right, and again, it ties back into Spider-Man as a figure, Spider-Man as a symbol, you know, his character and how, you know, jaded he's become with things. It reflects right. on that. It's not just about him as a person, it's about him as a, you know, a figure, this this model 
what he means to the people, which again, kind of, as we talked in our previous podcast about it, which I ha- recommend you go listen to, and how that ties back into what the Raimi films did in kind of the post-9-11 environment, and how he was a symbol there as well, and really understanding what Spider-Man means. And it was interesting because Raimi had such good context. He understood humor. He understood horror. And we could see that, uh, what's their name, Lord and Miller, they have a really good understanding of uh, at least humor with like 21 Jump Street and Lego. And they kind of, you know, that that's maybe the Raimi for a new generation, someone that really understands uh, young audiences and what, they, what they're really looking for in like a young teen market right now. Yeah, I think Lord and Miller are still very much the people to watch, you know, as a great duo right now. You know, it's a shame that we didn't get their solo movie. I think that would have been really impressive. But, you know, I've seen people talk. They really haven't had any misses yet. You know, they got the, no. the, the Lego movies. They got this. They got 21 Jump Street, you know, franchise there. And they started off with something like uh, uh, Clyde with a Chance of Meatballs, which, you know, is not much of note in this current time, but it was very relevant, you know, when it came out. Very, uh, you know, fantastic to watch. You know, had a very good message in it. And we have, uh, this week, we got Lego Movie 2 coming out, also penned by them at least, so that should yeah. be fun. Well, that's something to note as well, is that they did not direct this, um, you know, Spider-Man film, but they did produce it, they had a big hand in how things went here. You could feel their writing in the movies that they've written, like, uh, you look at the other Lego movies, and they're, they're pretty bad, like the Lego Ninjagas, I don't know if they were involved, but they're pretty awful. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I heard lots of people liked Lego Batman, though. But yeah. I think, again, it was a lot of pandering towards that fan base, and if you're up on all that, you'll probably, you know, it's one of those things you'll enjoy a lot. Like, oh, look at all the, the villains they brought forth, and I know that guy, and all that. Yeah. But, and, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to the Lego later this week. Uh, see if they have another success. It'll be nice to have a new film to talk about next week. Yes, which will definitely stick in the box office for quite some time, I'm sure, because it's an animated <laughs> film, least. and yeah. especially with the success of the previous lego movie i don't know i'm i'm a little more apprehensive on it personally you know i didn't think the first one needed a sequel at all but you know we'll see it could go well well that ending with the real life will ferrell it's really hard to top that or come back from that right which i believe was one of the reasons why again you know the academy disqualified it you know for nominating for best animated film is it (laughs) i think so because it had those those live segments in it and so it's not like a fully animated film it's something they'd kind of turn away from anyway because it's a toy movie. It's it's like in league with like Transformers, whether you want to admit it. It's... Mm-hmm. But it's, it's so much more than that. You know, I think dismissing yeah. that really like, did people even see the movie? You know, it, it really was the best animated film of that year, I think for sure. It was uh, absolutely blew me away. Well, seeing like at yeah. least for, for my expectations. I was not expecting it. Like, you know, when, when I heard about the Lego movie, I'm like, this sounds like a fucking cash grab. Right, yeah. Sounds like it couldn't be as good as it possibly was. So, mm-hmm. so that was exciting. All right. Uh, and looking up here, next one, number four, we have Aquaman. I don't know if it'll leave the box office, like, at all at this point. It might just stay in there the whole year, like, kind of like Call of Duty does for video games. We might just be uh, sitting with Aquaman uh, come December again. Yeah, which would be... You know, I guess not not all that surprising, but very impressive still. Uh, I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. just I'm happy that the DC fan base is finally kind of getting a movie that they sort of deserve, even if it isn't <laughs> great. Wow, it uh, it passed Batman's records for the Nolan movies. So yeah, I mean that's uh, a big deal. It's just that it's, as long as they're having fun with it. I mean, now they're they're finally yeah. kind of 
getting the movie that the Marvel fan base has been for the last ten years, where they're just <laughs> able to go to the theater and have a good time with their their superhero movies. Is that if you want to? <laughs> if you want to know how thirsty D- DC fans are, it's that they got the same movie as Ragnarok, and now it's their best-selling movie. Mm-hmm. And again, it just goes to show, at least instead of like where Suicide Squad tried to ape, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and completely fail at that, at least Aquaman did a you know halfway decent job of taking cues from Ragnarok there and you know pulling it off in a semi-successful manner. Yeah. Um. I don't have anything left on Aquaman. Yeah, I mean, you already conveyed it pretty well in the review that you gave us for the site, so... Yeah, go read that. Yeah, go read that. In the meantime, we can talk about the the one truly new... Is is that Alexa again? Yeah, she's joining us. Again? Jesus Christ. Jesus, man, why don't you just invite her as a guest next time? Like, give give me a heads up. Oh my god. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Let me pause it. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Just unplug her. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. <laughs> did you did you pause she, your recording at all or No. Okay, she good. went into she went into an audible narration of a book. So she was just gonna keep going if I didn't stop her. Look, we're not sponsored by Audible yet. I would love to be. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Audible, you know. if you're listening, we'll have Alexa <laughs> read one of your books each week. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh two weeks in a row now we've had uh a guest from Alexa here, so well, I positioned her, unfortunately, next to the computer now, so I just got to unplug her. <laughs> well, just uh, remember to do that next week, unless, you know, we want to make this a regular segment. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do you think of Miss Bala, uh, Alexa? <laughs> <laughs> Which is the, the next film here that we have, number three. The the only real new film that we have this week is Miss Bala, which I believe is a remake of some other film that I also have not seen or heard of. I mean, it's about drug cartel, Gina Rodriguez, I don't care. Um, yeah. Uh, this, this feels a lot like... We're getting a lot of films like this nowadays. Yeah. Uh, what, there was something, I guess, sort of similar, like with uh, Peppermint, I felt like, not too long ago. Yeah. It's just kind of this... We had Breaking In, Peppermint. We've had like four of these in the last four or five months. There's something like a Revenge, you know, seemed kind of similar earlier last year as well. Nah. There's these very like <laughs> female-centric, you know, empowerment films, which are oh great to God. have, but they, it's it's becoming a very tired genre already. Speaking of, I've seen like six films the last year where a man's a writer and then he has a strong wife that's behind him, and then the wife turns out to be the writer. I'm so fucking tired. I saw the wife and... It's just that movie again, and it's got an award nomination. Like, this isn't what Glenn Close does well. This mm-hmm. isn't particularly a good role for her. I'm so annoyed with this film. <laughs> but yeah, I don't really have much to say about Miss Bala right now. The ratings on it are pretty dreadful. Uh, you know, it's another pointless remake, which is the next film as well on the list here, uh, The Upside, which I also yep. won't have much to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot early in the year where we're just not going out to the theater we all don't have time no i mean we don't have the time to sit through you know crap essentially like, <laughs> look this is the season where you get all of the last year's best movies on on demand like if you're going out to the theater right now you're missing out on all the best stuff so right do it. i mean even re-watching some of the best stuff that you already saw from last yeah. year is probably better use of your time and cheaper probably too you know theater tickets are fairly expensive you know you gotta right. tell the studios what you want with your wallet and you also gotta tell them what you don't want. You can't keep showing up to this stuff, or that's all we're going to get. Yeah, there's there's very little here of you know interest 
and more and more lately we're just seeing kind of churned out crap by studios trying to copy some sort of formula that worked before and yeah. it's it's tiring it's exhausting and it makes my job here hard because I have to sit here and act like I give a shit about these same 10 movies every week <laughs> and then I have to force you to try to uh, get into these films like you like you're actually going to watch one of them one day but I just uh, I don't I won't I can't yeah. I, I'm not going to lie I'm not going to see any of this crap man yeah, as we get going through the year, there's going to be some better stuff. I mean, Kevin Hart movies are never a fun ride anyway. No, I mean, yeah, no, just no. <laughs> no. So like I said, we, we already talked about how we don't care about the upside. We talked about it last week. talked about it a second ago. We just mentioned it here with Kevin Hart. So I'm just going to not even talk about it. Do you like anything with Kevin Hart? Is there is there anything that you find redeeming? Oh, have I even seen like a Kevin Hart film? Oh, have you? I don't know if I have. If I did, I blocked it out of my memory entirely. Very good. He's he does so many things. He has let's see, he has at least. I remember when he was doing films. stand up, and I watched some of that, and it wasn't awful, but I don't remember any of it either. Yeah, it's fine. I, I don't know why he has to keep doing the same thing over and over, but uh-huh. that's his character. That's why he's cast, right? I don't understand popular trends of things sometimes in general. You know, I don't understand. A lot of the comedy scene currently. I don't understand a lot of the music scene currently. I feel like an old man. Yeah, yeah, same. But, you know, hey, if the kiddies like it, I guess. Uh, what do we have at first? Uh, first, I bet you can't guess. No. <laughs> it, is it a twist? It is a twist. It's... No, it's not a twist. It's glass! Oh, right. The same thing we expected the last few weeks. Yeah. Hey, you know, he's making his money back, I guess, so it worked. Thanks, M9. Um, yeah, I don't really care about Glass. Uh, we, we did a whole we podcast, we big podcast with our friend Tyler on it. Um, and, you know, there's lots of problems and still we're all disappointment. And, yeah. Like M. Night's entire career. <laughs> and uh, speaking of Tyler, we should mention we brought him on as an editor this last week. He has an article up on the site, so happy yes. to have him with us. Yes, he did a review for us, a big spoiler review for Serenity, which was like something actually interesting to talk about last week. And yeah, I wish Serenity ever got on the list because we had to force it in last week. You know, I've just been looking for excuses to talk about it for the last three weeks anyway. Right. I mean, even if it's bad, it's noteworthy. Some of these are just. It's you know... not that bad. <laughs> I think Tyler disagrees with you. I, you know, yeah. check out his review to see his interest there. Well, we gave it a four out of ten on the site, which is pretty mediocre territory. But I think there's a good version of bad where it's a badly made movie where you could still have a good time at it. I don't think it's so bad it's good. I just think it's good in a really, really negative way that right, it doesn't really build a into the things you, you expect. Know, if, I, if I rate things, it's like quality-wise or the technical aspects of it are just really awful. But yeah. that doesn't mean that it's miserable to watch necessarily. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think McConaughey is always fun to watch, and I don't see anything wrong with going to see a McConaughey Hathaway movie because they're both pretty fucking good. Yeah, I, again, it's at least worthy. It sounds like of seeing, if only for yeah. the very bizarre turn it takes. But you know, certainly more inspired than some of these, even if it is essentially just kind of a director toying with the audience. Yeah, it, it is pretty manipulative of the audience, and I mean, it's manipulative of his character, too. Like, he's just getting, like, sometimes there's, like, camera shifts where you're like, oh, he's in a simulation, and you know right away, so I don't feel like it's as much of a build-up as critics make it out to be, but it's there. <laughs> well, like I said, you know, it sounds like the twist comes about halfway through the film, and then the rest of it is kind of just 
trying to wrap your brain around what the fuck is going on. You know what? I'm really bummed out that it didn't ever crack the top ten because at least it has some it interesting ideas. It did? Yeah, it was an eight last week. Oh, yeah, last week it was eight. Now we have it at 14 with a million seven. Yeah. Uh, million seven hundred. Uh, that's not very great. It's never going to make its money back, but... Um, I wish it made a little bit more money because at least it has new ideas and it's not a dog movie and yeah. it's not racist. So, <laughs> But hey, you know, I guess that's just the way it goes. Next week will be, I think, much more exciting. Hopefully, yeah. I pray. <laughs> well, we should have Happy Death Day coming up next two weeks. We have Lego Movie, we have uh, Dragon, we have all kinds of kids stuff coming. Yeah, so that means those will be in the box office forever as well. Mm-hmm. And we'll be talking about those for the next three months. Well, I'm fighting with my family. I got a review of that up on the site. Um, so, uh, until then, we have a new feature we're doing. We just want to highlight some of the latest stuff on streaming networks. Critique is so limiting and emotionally draining. Yeah, at least especially in this time when there's nothing else to talk about in the box office. There's a couple things of note that we at least want to highlight and kind of go over. Uh, I believe, Calvin, you you got one that you saw. You saw Velvet Buzzsaw that came out yeah. on Netflix just recently. <clears throat> Which just had its Sundance premiere a week ago, and uh, the buzz from that kind of told me... Oh, get it, buzz. Uh, the buzz from that <laughs> told me, oh, it might not be that interesting. It's an art film. It's Dan Gilroy from Nightcrawler uh, directing Hall again, who's always interesting. Um, but Hall also kind of gets a haircut and a new set of glasses, and he walks onto a new film role, and they kind of make a movie about him. Um so that's what they've done again. Uh, I thought it was going to be a horror movie, but I didn't consider that until it was over, which is always an interesting place to be with horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, it was a lot of I know buzz around it because everyone loved Nightcrawler, and you know they thought Dan Gilroy was going to be this new auteur to follow, and yeah. so this just seemed like a serious letdown. People, you know, everything I basically heard was that this is a really great premise, but it just sucked. You know, it didn't do anything <laughs> with it. <laughs> like, and that's just across the board. I haven't heard a positive review of it yet, personally. I mean, it's fine. It's watchable. It's not broken horribly. Um, I don't think it... It just doesn't doesn't go anywhere. I mean, it's fun. It's fun seeing how bitchy the women in the art world are and how this kind of gay guy operates around him. But he kind of he gets turned by one of the women. I don't know about that. Uh, it's, a, it's a strange movie. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, other than that, I think the other big announcement this week is talk about the recent semi-launch of the Criterion channel finally coming around. They announced last year once Filmstruck shut down that they're launching their own service, basically providing all the same amenities they did before with Filmstruck partnered. And they uh, launched for anyone new signing on. You can still sign on now and get a reduced price, you know, which is fantastic. Become a charter member. It costs you only, uh, you know, what I think it's like less than 10 bucks a month, like $9 yeah. a month or $90 a year, which is even less, which I highly recommend. And, the you know, until April 8th when they launch, they're doing a film a week. This week, this last week, they put up uh, Mikey and Nikki, which is one of their latest additions to the Criterion channel. It's uh, John Cassavetes, you know, starring in alongside uh, Peter Falk. Nice gritty 70s, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, crime film. And then I also saw that they're putting up uh, Chunking Express for this week. Today is when they put up oh, the every Wednesday. Yeah. I caught chunking before uh, Filmstruck went down, so I'm not going to end up watching it again here. But for anyone who is interested, 
because it's always buzzer. I think it's interesting to put this up. Maybe they're just teasing that one car white box set more and more because everyone's screaming about that still. You know, the Criterion, you know, forums. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good because we all we all love Filmstruck. There was like a there was a feeling of like a funeral in the family when that went down on the internet, right? Like oh, we were all I, like, oh shit. <laughs> I, I I like broke down that day. I felt so depressed. <laughs> yeah. Like, all of November was just me racing home from work and binging as many film truck films off my list as I could, because I'm like, it's going to die, and I'm never going to see these films again, because, you know, this is really, like, the only streaming service where you're going to get a lot of those classic, important, and a lot of foreign films, too. I watched so many Kurosawa films because that was the only way I was going to be able to see them without, like, buying them outright, effectively. You know, I'm no longer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm lucky enough to live in a very big metropolitan area that has a very huge, you know, specialized rental store, but not everyone has that, and I certainly wouldn't have been able to watch this kind of stuff if I was still living in my dinky backwater town that I came from. Yeah, um, I think we I think we could say pretty confidently it'll be a little bit better than Filmstruck 2. It sounds like they're going to have more of the special features. It will be available in Canada, which is nice. We're, yeah, that's uh, a huge improvement. I know Yeah. our, our you know, northern buddy... Kevin is excited about that. Right. I mean, it's nice just to be more accessible because Filmstruck, honestly, was not... It wasn't on the main players that people use to watch movies now, like the PS4s. Right. So that will be nice. I think that was one of the biggest problems with Filmstruck is that they didn't put it on, you know, any of the, you know, normal streaming, you know, devices that you use. People use their gaming consoles for streaming, and I had to go out and buy a Chromecast just so I could watch yeah. it on my TV. You know, I went and got a Roku... Amazon, or what do you call it, Amazon Fire TV box just to watch Filmstruck, and then it shut down two months later. Yeah, which is just, <laughs> and that was the thing, is that, like, I'd, I'd been using Filmstruck for quite a few months now and felt very excited about it, so I finally upgraded to the full package and a year plan, and then, like, two weeks later, they're like, ah, oh, we're shutting down, and I'm like, shit. So it's it's not even, like, accessibility. Like, it, it, it had bad quality on watching on computers, watching on my Roku. It, it wouldn't keep track of what I actually watched. It, like, it Criterion Channel has an opportunity to be better in every way. Right, it certainly is. You know, Filmstruck was not a perfect platform. You know, it had some trouble sometimes streaming. There was some times where, you know, it wouldn't come through all the way or it had trouble starting up. Like, like a lot of technical problems. But yeah. as far as the quality that they presented the films in and the vast variety and general organization, and more so than anything, the supplements they provided were better than any streaming service has ever been to this date nothing I mean, you get yeah. you get classic black and white films and give them commentary and you're 10 steps above netflix right like yeah already there and they don't even stop they produce new content for each thing they have they bring on like current day directors to talk about these you know films and they, how they influence them and whatnot which is some really incredible stuff you know yeah. they're they're doing the lord's work over there man i tell you <laughs> absolutely I can't wait to see if we get, uh, I don't know, there's not very much that I'll miss of Filmstruck if it can be replaced. Uh, it did have the Turner Classic movies at the end, which this won't get, but right. that's it. That's a little bit of a disappointment, but, you know, the Warner's working on their own streaming, you know, uh, service here that's going to have <laughs> yeah. all that. It'll probably be way more expensive, though, and, you know, like, I'm pretty sure, because they'll have the Criterion channel as well kind of incorporated with them, but it's going to be behind a paywall, and it's like, that's... if you, yeah. <laughs> That'll be an easy sell. Who wants to watch Aquaman and Casablanca? Everyone, right? So. Yeah. So I think, you know, that, that certainly would be a viable service, but 
you know, it's interesting to see how the streaming world's evolving. It's definitely taking over, you know, we're moving away from cable and onto this new world. Yeah, so out of the upcoming ones like Disney, Criterion, uh, Warner, I think we're both, uh, I mean, we're both in the pilot program for Criterion, so that's where our money's at. Yep, and yours should be too. All right, I, I think it's uh, safe to move on then to our film of the week. We spend a lot of time yeah. talking about what's been going on in the world, but let's go back to 1999. Oh no! <laughs> All right. So we're talking about ten things I hate about you. I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh, even worse when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close, not even a little bit, not even at all. Ten Things I Hate About You is our film. It's oh a... yeah, that's right. Yes. Sorry, no, I wasn't, um, I'm not insulting you, it's, it's the name of the movie. Oh, okay. I, I... Okay, so it takes place uh, locally. Um... Yeah, it's a local interest story, uh, which is good for us because we want to talk about Tacoma and how terrible it is. Yes, so you know we picked this film for a couple reasons. This week. Number one is that this is going to be our podcast, kind of coming around for Valentine's Day. And we're like, hey, let's think of a romantic comedy to talk about because that's what people watch on Valentine's Day. But specifically this one because this is one of the few films of note that is filmed in kind of our local area here. We're both Seattleites. You know, we come from way up north there by the Space Needle. And yeah. they filmed and set 10 Things I Hate About You in the Seattle area. I kind cannot, of. Yeah, <laughs> I, so. I can't think of many other films that, at least of note, that are filmed in the area. Like, uh, I know stuff like uh, Practical Magic was shot on the island that I came from, Woodby Island, of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I never saw it. And uh, <laughs> we, have, uh, we have, like, North Bend a lot. We have, like, Vanishing and North Bend, Twin Peaks and North Bend, but there's not a lot in Seattle. No, not Seattle itself, which uh, they make sure to establish right from the get-go here. You know, you got the oh, yeah. opening skyline, and you see the Space Needle there. It's like, so, man, <laughs> they want you to know it's Seattle. That's the primary shot taken from actual downtown Seattle. You're in Cary Park, Queen Anne. You're looking down. My old apartment's down there. It was fun, like, spotting that. And then it has the funky 90s font coming over it as it pans over to, you know, like the Bower and sort of like the... Uh, what you think would be like a magnolia area when it when it pans back you're actually in like downtown tacoma after it passes the trees so that's an interesting switch yes all set to the sensational tune of one week by the bare naked ladies <laughs> yeah which is about one as week. 90s as you can get for the soundtrack <laughs> disc collection yeah i i didn't know what to expect this was my first time seeing the film so when it started with that i was like david are you sure uh, <laughs> are you sure this is the one you wanted to podcast yes do I have the right movie? <laughs> but uh, after that, it switched smarts. It goes smartly to uh, Bad Reputation. It's just, cutting it's just that like song a hard out. cut to, to yeah. Bad Reputation from Joan Jett there to show off how, um, you know, uh, volatile, you know, our main actress is here. <laughs> <laughs> and she's fantastic. And she, she drives up in her car. She's blasting Bad Reputation, cutting through the bare naked ladies right, like all she, the dreams of the 90s she drives past away. these cool kids and they're convertible which by the way should not happen in seattle this film is a little misleading and <laughs> yeah. how everyone's out here 
playing in the courtyard in short sleeves and shorts, and it's bright and it's, everything's green, and everyone's driving <laughs> convertible. That doesn't happen in Seattle. It's cold yeah. up here for a majority of the year. You'll get like two weeks where you can get out in the sun and not have to yeah. wear a sweater. What is it, asshole day? That's what she <laughs> says as she drives up on these kids. Like, she's going to pull out a gun on them. Yeah, and she's driving this really beat up, rusted old, you know, car. Like, you're, you you get the sense right away, oh, this bitch is different. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's supposed to be like the, like, tucked away Queen Anne neighborhood. Kind of, you know, a little bit sheltered. Because, like, upper Queen Anne's, like, t- a step away from the city, right? Like, uh, oh, you have houses now, and you're a rich family. Uh, they don't make a lot of romances anymore about rich white teenagers going to high school and falling in love with a straight relationship. So that's, like, the... This is one of the last one of those. It was, like, the kind of bread and butter. That's the thing that I think that Tim Things Hate About You really stands out amongst all the other kind of, you know, similar teen comedies of the time, which there were a lot of. But being very special, it's, you know, it's got its own very, you know, much of an identity and voice and a very interesting twist because I think it's very inspired coming from a place of a Shakespeare adaptation. Right, yeah. Shockingly we enough, this is... We forget to yeah. mention that it is a Shakespeare adaptation. So going beyond the John Hughes influences, if you kind of combine that with Shakespeare, I think you get a better um, a better take on Ferris Bueller's Day Off, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because it's interesting because this is a kind of lesser talked about you know shakespeare it's from uh taming of the shrew same kind of story here basically is that you know this guy who fawns after the girl of this prestigious family has to you know you know uh work around the rules of their father there by getting the older you know kind of crotchety sister to yeah you know be dating at the same time that's the rule that's kind of the whole conceit of 10 things i hate about you is that uh julia styles character cat you know, has to be dating first before uh, Bianca is allowed to, the younger girl, who's played by Larissa Olnienik. I'm going to mess that up, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. All I remember, because I remember it's it's interesting because, you know, her character is supposed to be getting together with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and she, for a long time, was the romantic interest of Joseph Gordon-Levitt on Third Rock from the Sun, which is running subsequently kind of with the show. Yeah, and so we have this stranger of Heath Ledger stepping in eventually, and he comes into the school as kind of an outcast. There, are, you know, he tells a lot of lies about himself, trying to build himself up into this. You know, I think, I think the point is as well that a lot of the things that are told about him are very rumors because he has this very, you know, kind of uh, intimidating persona. Yeah. You know, he comes from Australia <laughs> and he's you know this big bad boy. He was in jail, apparently. Right. <laughs> they come up with all these crazy rumors. But it's like he sold his liver for drug money or something. And that makes it doubly sweet when he's offered, uh, you know, some money to go after this girl. And then he kind of has a, you know, it, the whole story is kind of him falling in love with her despite being paid to. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, you know, I think a really good way of seeing it. Like, they're, you know, the, the progression of the relationship throughout is very, you know, endearing and believable. Everyone's got really great chemistry yeah. in the film. Which makes it stand out, as a, again, like I said, as a, from the other teen comedies. There's just lots of funny quirks about everything, but especially Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles have really great chemistry together, especially as they're, they're kind of these both rough people that bring out the more sensitive sides of yeah. each other. This is the one time I really like Julia Stiles. Uh, I don't have a lot else that I'm, I'm very fond of. Yeah, I mean, it's not, uh, you know, I'm not crazy about her as an actress, necessarily, but I also haven't seen you know, a ter- terribly a lot from her. 
but just in general, I mean, especially seeing Heath Ledger here again, he's always great in everything, you know, as we saw before his untimely death. Yeah, and and yeah. this is just early evidence of how fantastic he could be. Yeah, I think this kind of proves out that he's, uh, he stands out when he stands next to other actors that are doing their job. Like, uh, they don't look like they're doing so much when they're next to Heath Ledger, because he kind of steals every scene he's in. Yes, he certainly does, especially during, you know, the the big scene that everyone takes away from the film is, you know, I, th- I thought it was impressive as well, is that, you know, where he gets to go up on the bleachers and sing, uh, you know, the Four Seasons song. Yeah. You know, Frankie Valley there, which is, you know, fantastic. And it's like, oh, wow, he literally can sing. He really could do it all. You know, he's got these great, uh, you know, it's a great moment where he's, and he's kind of like dancing around the cops while they're trying to catch him and singing the song. <laughs> That's a moment where he does seem to be redeemable in some sense, that, that she finds there's some heart in him and that he's authentic in a way. Because mm-hmm. he, he went through all the potential humiliation, but then her and her whole soccer team really, like, got the performance in. And, you know, and, and like you say, it all feels like a Seattle summer. It's like that one week a year where we get the hot weather. Well, that's the but, interesting thing that uh, I found out I was watching this time and realizing is that the whole film is building up to prom. Which, yeah. is, which is weird because I don't think the screenwriters know how prom works or where it is. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't like, think that I don't think Shakespeare ever went to prom. Well, no, it's just it's a very weird thing, especially within the setting of the film, because it feels like maybe two months go by in the course of the whole thing, and we're starting at the beginning of the school year. It seems, right. and prom is at the end of the school year. I don't think they know how it works. But like. That's like okay. I, and it's an easy change. I think it's an easy fix because what does come like a month or two after the beginning of the year is a homecoming dance. Right. Which would be just as appropriate a setting to take. The, like, So I don't see why they didn't take that easy answer. Especially when you have the younger people like, you know, you have uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. You got Cameron and Bianca going to the prom dance as well, even though they're not upperclassmen, which is not traditionally how proms work. Right. I... I like that uh, they kept some of the names from the Shakespeare. You still got your Biancas and some of the Italian-sounding names, which is funny. Well, yeah, and there's, there's one like, you know, Heath Ledger's character's last name is Verona, which yeah, is a right. little, it's a little on the nose, but it's a nice I touch. I mean, that's, that's the guy's name on, from the Taming of the Shrews. So. Is it? I'm pretty sure Verona's the so. city. Okay, that's, that's what it is, right? Yeah, so I watched, sure. uh, I should say I watched, uh, what was it called, uh pizza my heart last night which takes place with these two verona pizza places competing we is, said that is, i'd get confused here is that the um, link that you're going with here is that <laughs> the vaguely italian references connect to this pizza movie that you watch well one of them is called verona's best pizza and it is a shakespeare movie and is it, it, uh, oh, that's right because you said it's a romeo, romeo and juliet <laughs> so there's a scene at the end where the guy takes this balsamic vinegar and he puts it on his tongue and he passes out like he's been poisoned and it's like a weird allusion to romeo and juliet that i really <laughs> like and it, he gives it to the girl and it heals her heart which is fantastic but then i then i start i kept watching after the credits and it went to this other uh abc family movie and it had a 10 things i hate about you poster in it which is where i realized there's a tv show mm-hmm. that, that was interesting i did see the ad for the tv show on like the beginning of my DVD when I was going through all the trailers. But At first you? I was confused. Yes, I, I did. At first I was confused because I was like, is this a trailer for the movie that I'm watching? 
because that's right. that's really <laughs> weird. But no, it was like this is a TV show, and it was weird because at first, like one of the first people I recognized the Dan because they yeah. brought the Dan back over from the movie to the TV show, and I was really confused because I'm like, okay, I that, that's bizarre marketing there. I, I already mean, have your movie. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's the one thing that they should bring over if they go bring over any element because uh, the dad's awesome and Mama didn't raise no fool. Mm-hmm. He's he's very funny. He's got a good sense of. Uh, comedy there throughout, you know. What about and, when he when he gives them the bodysuit? Like you just have one of those hanging yeah. around to teach them a lesson. Well, it's just it, it's a nice joke. Is that the idea is that the dad is entirely you know like kind of uh, scarred by his job. He works you know in you know delivering children all the time. So he's seen like the potential bad effects from you know teenage <laughs> pregnancies. So he's right. so petrified by this. He's like, you can't date at all. No penises for anyone. <laughs> It's true. He's like a trauma survivor, like deflecting <laughs> that back onto his kids. The dad's very scarred. He's very but funny. He's got some very weird lines. He's like, you know, I don't work my, you know, elbows into placenta so that you guys can go. <laughs> She's weird line. And again, I think that's another great thing about this movie is that it's very funny. It's written well in terms of the jokes that are provided. It's like never really too over the top or extreme. What's the quote? Uh, Kissing isn't the reason I'm up to my elbows in placenta or something that, like that. That's what it is. That's... It's so funny. <laughs> he's so good. I mean, uh, I love him on his exercise bike, too. That's He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a really great sense of comedy and character kind of balanced throughout. I felt even in the more kind of uh, caricatured moments, there's some weird things that are kind of out of place. Like, I don't know how you felt about the the teacher that the you know the kind of hip black teacher that they have for their classroom <laughs> well, he... well i i like the kids that are kind of jamaican that kind of sit there and they're like choking on their weed while they're laughing with him but the, these he overtly think they're racist, all that. like bob marley guys that they they call yeah. them <laughs> they're so funny i don't i don't know why i i like the teacher because he's trying to teach that there's more than dead white men writing poetry but then the whole thing is about shakespeare so it's kind of confused and then it's against Hemingway, so I don't know, because Hemingway is so influenced by Shakespeare. I don't really know what your perspective is on that. If you've you're got a, you've got a huge boner for Hemingway, I know. So, uh, points against him there. I mean, but, uh, I guess, but <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty open to criticism, mm-hmm. as long as it has more merit to it than that. Right, just Hemingway bad. <laughs> he, he was Hemingway's a, a white male, man. bad. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, they talk about it like, oh, maybe the Spanish War had something more to it than just Hemingway. Maybe it's not all romance. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that interesting because that's kind of one of her talking points, you know, Kat uses. And she's like very informed about things, you know, quote unquote. She's like, oh, that, you know, Hemingway was this hack, you know, he was this drunkard yeah. or whatever who killed himself. Let's talk about Sylvia Plath instead, you know. Who was a uh, drunk and a hack. And, and who killed herself. Probably killed themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's why she's undateable. That's why nobody wants to date her except for Heath Ledger, who's just this heathen from Australia, right? Mm-hmm. Well, at first, I think he kind of views it as this challenge, you know, and he's like, I'm going to overcome. But I think he, com- you know, he comes to kind of like her tenacity, you know, you know, he sees mm-hmm. that as a, a great quality about her. And it is like, you know, once they're kind of more, you know, rough exterior fades a bit more, you can see a lot more of her her earnest character or something to admire about her. She's not a, a character you hate by any means. And I was surprised how, um, I would say how, uh, temp- how contemporary it felt that 
it is a little bit feminist that her character is a feminist. She's not dating. She's not interested in Ben. And uh, the way that he handles her, like when she's drunk, like he doesn't go for the case. He wants to wait till she's sober. I appreciate that it uh, it has a heart and a sense about that stuff because during that time you didn't have to. Yeah, well, I mean, this is a very much so a kind of female empowerment film, and as it yeah. was kind of with the times as well. Um, you know, there's another great moment at the end with Bianca's character where it's not that, you know, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt stands up for her and punches out the douchey guy who's been trying to get in her pants the whole movie, but she th- she throws the punch. She, you know, lays... <laughs> yeah, yeah also, she gives him a, a, yeah. a big punch and everyone steps back, you know, the guy's just laying on the floor. It is a female empowerment moment. Especially when you consider, like, the soundtrack is filled with these, you know, kind of indie rock, you know, girl rock bands throughout the whole time, which is a very big 90s thing, a very big kind of feminist empowerment movement, and it's prevalent throughout the whole soundtrack. The film even ends, I don't know about, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, the, I love the ending shot. It's just, this, they're like, yeah, let's just go for it. And they put a, <laughs> the band on, on the top of the damn school building and fly around with this convoluted helicopter shot while they perform a cover of, you know, uh, was it Super Tramp song? Yeah, I mean that song is so good. No, no, too. it's Cheap Trick, it's, not Super Tramp. It's, it's in there multiple times. It's it's kind of the song of the movie, right? When they're up there on the on the roof of the high school. And yeah, they play that uh, kind of defines exactly what this is. Right, it's a it's a kind of perfect moment, and it's a great kind of it's just this crazy shot. They're just like, yeah, let's just do it. Let's you know show this giant crane shot from the bottom with a helicopter up to the band playing on a roof how did they get up there it doesn't look like there's an entrance up there there's just a stage up here with a band it almost doesn't matter because it's almost impractical that anyone would go to school at hogwarts anyway it does the, the school looks like way too prestigious like i was surprised to find out that this was an actual school in tacoma I'm like yeah. what because it does not look like it this looks like a damn castle yeah, so the house is actually real in, in Tacoma, and the school also exists. Um, I guess we should talk about Tacoma a little bit, because I don't like Tacoma very much. I don't like Tacoma either. It's a, it's a death trap, man. Uh, it is. It, it has such a high crime rate relative to everywhere else in Western Washington. It's kind of like the punching bag of Western Washington. Totally is. We make fun of Tacoma all the time. We hate you, Tacoma. <laughs> And the high school is called the Stadium High School. You were remarking, which is true, that there aren't outdoor spaces like this at high schools. That you don't have a courtyard that's built like it would contain water. Or if, but if that, you do, this you don't does. go out to it at all. You know, I, don't yeah. know, I, I was in high school. I, I kind of almost ran from class to class because it's frigid. You don't hang out and just like chat in the outdoor hallways. Yeah, but uh, these kids do, of course. They're they're all uh, sitting outside playing like roller hockey the one week a year where it's dry enough to do it, and they're uh, in their you know convertibles and uh, in a really they're in a really nice house that looks like it would be like Magnolia area, but it's in Tacoma. I should say my main complaint against Tacoma is it smells really bad. There's Uh, a name for it. (laughs) I sent you the Wikipedia article of the Tacoma aroma, which is you know famously um uh, when you drive through the city it, it smells like uh, rotten eggs basically well it's because it's a it's, you know it's a kind of a port area you know i think there's a right. big fishing market kind of in in the area so that's kind of where that comes from and why it stenches up the whole city but yeah tacoma in general is not a <laughs> pleasant place you know you're no. about like another 20 minutes to get to seattle so you might as well just kind of keep on going i make it a point to never stop 
when I'm going to coma. If I gotta take a shit or anything on the road, I'm just gonna <laughs> hold it in and keep going. I'm almost to the next place. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you're better off stopping in Fife or something and just just getting out of the way. But um, I don't, I don't really, I have no interest in Tacoma. It's I I do everything I can to avoid it. Um, which makes me upset because our women's hockey team just got transferred over to Tacoma this week. So I. I have a real beef with Tacoma this week because they're putting them in the Tacoma Rainier Stadium instead of the Seattle Memorial. So that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that's disappointing. Yeah, I was uh, surprised to see how the film is, in fact, like authentically filmed right in that same area. Every every shot is either from Tacoma or in the Seattle area. I think one of the only like obvious things, like, is there a reason why they had a scene at the Fremont Troll? Like this thing's kind of just like forced in, just like let's just show off this cool Seattle thing that's here. It's it's, it's a tourist trap thing. Why didn't they go to the gum wall? Maybe film a scene there. <laughs> Could have done that. You're not gonna have them like walking through the you know the the market and have fish fly over their heads. That's a Seattle thing. Let's throw that in there too. And there- I mean, there's there's no reason for Fremont to be in there. You know, uh, and they spell it wrong in the credits. They give it an extra E. Fremont isn't free, David. I mean, that's why we have a statue of Lenin in Fremont. Come on. Yep, that's a true thing, too. There's a <laughs> statue of Lenin in Seattle, in case you didn't Dominus. know. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it, I, I find it's, a, it's like a cool thing, but also very out of place. I'm like, why are they here? Why is nobody else here? Why are they just <laughs> right. hanging around around the troll? Like, this is odd. That's not what people do. You know, just like, yeah, let's just go hang around the Fremont Troll. That's a, that's a tourist thing. You guys live in Seattle. You don't need to be doing that. Yeah, I mean, I've only had one occasion where I accidentally ended up at the Troll. It's something you do on purpose, and you, and you don't do it if you live here. There's no reason to. Like, it's no. it's just a, a cool thing you go take a picture of, and you move on. It's, yeah, I'm pretty you're sure done. you're not even supposed to touch it, you know? Like, they're crawling around on it in there, and you're not supposed to do that. Um, and I feel like the sense of the city is just about right. Like you say, it has that kind of punk rock vibe. It it has that feeling that this music could come from this place, which mm-hmm. is really special to me, I think. Especially at the time, you know, the 90s were essentially the most relevant time Seattle ever existed. And, you know, that's when a huge, our huge music scene kind of boomed with the birth of grunge and everything. Well, so maybe that, like maybe relevant to music. Like now we have all the biggest companies in the world here. Like that's true. Uh, we're mean, still relevant. But. Yeah, we talk. We got Starbucks and Amazon coming from up here. But I guess like culturally relevant in a in a way that I'm proud to talk about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in a way that doesn't feel like it's a capitalist thing. Like it's almost a anti-consumerist. Uh, we're on the fringe and we're making cool things in Seattle. Yeah, that Lennon statue feels a little more out of place now, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> you gotta erect a Bezos stand behind him, giving him a hug. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's surprising me still how well this holds up as a romantic comedy. It had been a long time since I'd seen it again, but I was very excited. I I was shocked that you hadn't seen this significant Seattle <laughs> I <know>. film before. <laughs> I know, and this is a very significant film in my life. Like you, you must say, it is one of the most significant uh, romance comedies, which are very important to me. I was going to say as well, I'm like, not only is it a Seattle movie, it's a romantic comedy, which you have this weird, you know, predilection for, you know, it's a, you're just like drawn to them, and you're like, I'll, t- I'll watch any romantic comedy in Polycood. Like I said, I watched Pizza My Heart last night, I'm open to just about anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any problems with the movie? I I feel like they could have brought Miss Perky back, I feel like she was she, a good 
she was a very good like introductory character and she's kind of writing those dirty novels and asking for you know so yes, <laughs> she uses bratwurst as a substitute for penis <laughs> it's like what throbbing bratwurst or something <laughs> weird is... but yes she's a fun character that they kind of forgot about right after that which is funny because she's just interviewing kids and it's a little bit dirty and might not happen today uh, that she's getting all of her um, steamy romance stuff from but these uh, That seems 14, like the kind of place that you would go to because that's the kind of audience. I don't know, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, I agree. There's a couple things. I mentioned the teacher earlier. Like, I think he's a little, like, out of step with the tone of the film at times. Like, he's using profanity and, like, you know, having vendettas against certain kids. It's very unprofessional. It's weird. Um, and, yeah, um,. I do like Miss Perky, though. I just said. Yeah. Any problems I think I have with the film are, I'm, I'm still on board with them, like nothing that puts me out. Just little things where I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Some of the characters are very caricature like the main antagonist kid, Joey. He's like straight out of, you know, your popular bully handbook, essentially. Yeah. And he's just like this complete over-the-top caricature. He's like, whoa, watch my hair, you know. Yeah. He's cool about me. I drive what? a convertible. What about the part where he's drawing the dick on his face and he doesn't really know how to draw a dick, so he kind of draws it... He, he draws it strange, like I've never seen anyone draw a dick before. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it comes out pretty good. It's a, it's a very good-looking okay, dick. But, yeah, I, I think, I don't know. But it's just the way he draws it. I've never I've never seen anyone do it that way. It's it's very awkward. Do you often watch people draw dicks so you have a I frame mean, of reference? I've drawn enough in my time to know that that's not the way you go about it. That's not the way I would. <laughs> I will consult you in the future if I need any advice on dick drawings. For sure. Yeah, no problem. Let me know. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, I think uh, there's like a, a very cliche kind of third act, you know, reversal where it's a reveal of information. It's like, oh, I hate you now because, you know, plot things, you know, yeah. you were lying. It, it, it's, it's a very cliche thing that these kind of movies do all the time, which the movie otherwise avoids really well. So it's, it's kind of disappointing to see that inclusion there. But otherwise, it's it's pretty good. And the I I do like the really corny poem though. That that was a good way to end it and a good way to tie that poetry class into what you know was going on with the context of the story. Yes, it's a very good way. So much so that I actually uh, I had a similar feeling. I, in fact, did find ten things I hate about you, Calvin, and I thought I oh you did here. yes I did only did ten. <laughs> uh, so far, I'm still working on it. Like just this podcast or. Uh, just, I mean, hey, you you tried to start the podcast with that, but you clearly couldn't think of ten things to hate about me. So okay, go ahead. And, and it was funny. I was like, oh boy, wait till I get to the end here. All right, here we go. So, Calvin, I hate how you didn't get me a present for my birthday this year. What's up with that? Wow, yeah, <laughs> putting me on the spot. I am. Well, I gave you those little Twin Peaks uh, notebooks that I had sitting around. That seemed like a pretty good gift at the last minute. Yeah, I guess, but I mean, you didn't have to wait till the last minute. It's not like you didn't know. Oh, well, I mean, I. You know, could have just handed them to you when you came in, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, number two here, I hate your usage of poles as a legitimate form of putting me down. Look, I mean, Spider-Man 2 isn't as good as hey, Spider-Verse. Hey, hey, I feel hold like on. It's... We're not, I don't want to start that again. It's, it's a consistent pattern that you're using poles constantly <laughs> to, try and, to try and silence me. Oh, this is a good bit, but uh, it's not true. I feel like they, <laughs> Clint Eastwood and Into the Spider-Verse are obviously the people's choice. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, number three here, I hate your face. Just oh, man. G- generally. That's harsh. Like, yep. you're going, like, personal attacks now just, like, based on appearance, which is hard to fix, but I don't know. I, I guess get... if you feel that way, I'm not going to try to change it. 
I need to get a variety here. I can't just attack your interests, you know. There's a lot oh, yeah. of things to hate. Right. Uh, I hate that you prioritize spending time with your fiancé over me. You cancel um, a lot. <laughs> well, you know, that's just how it goes when you're in a relationship with the baby. That you're, just uh, come, on, come on, you're about to get married. You're going to have, like, a whole life ahead. Come on, spend some more time with me here. I only get this one time a week with you. I know, it, it is sad. Uh, I, I might just start canceling on her, just cancel the wedding and have a podcast. Yeah, Another one about ten things. I think you should. Uh, number five here, I hate your weird fixation with France and French cinema. You got, like, lots of books on France. I saw when I came over there again recently, and you talk a lot about this, you know. <laughs> did this did this hurt you personally that I no, had all just, these French just, books? Lately? It's just weird. Like, I'm like, why France, you know? I mean, Give some love to other cinema out there, man. I mean, you only watch the American cinema, so I, I, I don't I know why. Funny. I just talked about Kurosawa earlier in the podcast and uh, everything I watched. And you only watch like Kurosawa because he like influences the Western cinema, it's and not, he's basically a Western director. Yeah. Hey, this is a list about things I hate about you. Don't, don't try okay, and yeah. this. I hate the bizarre sexual messages you send me in the middle of the night. <laughs> What's, What's it's that it's weird. From? I wake up in the morning and you're just these weird. I don't know, man. You get some stuff to work out there. Um, yeah. Well, that's true. I, yeah. I can't really argue about that. I hate your dry humor that cuts so deep that I cry sometimes at night. You know, you don't realize how much those jokes hurt me, man. It just I feel like it's getting too real here. Like, I thought it was a bit at first, but now I feel like you're actually processing some real emotions. Especially the last one there. Those, those messages are weird. <laughs> yeah. I hate your obsession with pizza-centric romantic comedies, which I assume are only being made for you. <laughs> I mean, I'll watch all of them, so I hope they keep making them for me. I've watched three just in the last few months, and they're all excellent. Exactly. You've uh, diverted our podcast to talk about a pizza comedy for quite a bit of time here. Well, there I mean, was Little Italy, and then I realized that was the same universe as Mystic Pizza. But then I found this one last night, and I realized Little Italy is just a remake of this one. And you just don't know, pizza is a flat circle, and all these things are related, man. Seriously, I don't get your obsession. You're still talking about pizza comedies. And I've still got right. two more entries. <laughs> well, I have a lot to say. I, clearly. I, <laughs> all right. I hate that we've only met a year ago, because it makes finding things you know to hate about you a lot harder. Oh, that's pretty. That's pretty sweet, though. Yeah, I did forget that was only nine, though. I do have one more. Oh, yes. Oh, I hate your insistence that Spider Verse is a better film than Spider Man Two because it totally isn't, and no <laughs> poll can decide that. We did a whole podcast, and we still got Tyler talking about it when he came on here. This will forever be a debate because you just can't acknowledge the truth. I, I mean, I feel like we really need to get into your feelings about this because I feel like obviously it's it's a better film. I mean, it's it's not. We've been over this. And it's it's just it, it it consumes all of my life. I can't even talk about this. <laughs> oh my god! I stay up at night. I think about why the hell can't he get this? <laughs> I know it's true. Anytime you try to get onto a project, I kind of divert you by linking you back to the the Twitter poll. You're like, I'm gonna write an article, and I'm like, yeah, but how about Spider-Man Two? How many times? I mean, we we talk about so much. It came up just in the beginning of this list here. I was like, I, I haven't even got to that entry yet, man. Let me talk about how much I hate that you do that Spider-Man thing all the time. I mean, it's kind of like an abusive relationship where you just can't escape just the, you know, the trauma of that, that one time where you were shown the truth. But but you're talking about in your case where Spider-Man 2 was the better one, right? No. No, no that's definitely the case. I feel like I feel like you're kind of mixing signals here. You might need some, I think, I think we're going to need a more professional mediator to come in and help you with your problem here, Calvin. Well, the, the good news is 
for your birthday. I got you a new guitar to apologize. So <laughs> I think everything will be right with us again. You can't just buy me a guitar every time you mess up me. I know, but uh, I think that is funny that that's all it takes for him to get back in her heart is, you know, like manipulating her interests by getting her the guitar. Obviously, he's been spying on her a little bit. Mm -hmm. Which is a little, I guess there's, you know, you kind of ignore those assets in the film, those aspects of the film where it's like, it's kind of following her around and stuff. It's like, oh, it's cute, I guess, in a Is creepy it? way. <laughs> yeah. I think otherwise, I'm. I feel like I'm out of energy after you brought me down on this. Uh, this ten things list. I. I. I feel attacked. Yeah, I'll, I just need to get that out there, man. You know, just need my feelings to be heard. <laughs> I mean, it's good for you to get it out there. I mean, we'll have to see if we have another podcast because it's just gonna be hard for me to to edit and to go through again this, uh, this to might be the end the of our, our podcast here i might have gone too far yeah i mean i just don't know if i could live through it again so i think i just gotta end it here uh, all right man not, not like you're not gonna kill yourself right no just just oh okay oh, you said end it oh no just all end right. the podcast just okay. kill the podcast and just pull the plug oh we'll see uh, let's see if we can amend things before you know next week maybe we'll be around but if not it's been it's been a fun ride yeah mostly it was. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully <laughs> we'll right. be back next week. We'll see.